Good evening, Patriots. And it is Wednesday, January 11th in the year 2023, the end of that on coming to anyway. And on the East Coast, you've already clipped into Thursday, which is going to be a uh, Thursdays are always busy days, so I'm not rushing to get there at all. Patriots, before we begin, make sure that you're getting a good night's sleep. And with that, the best places to get products to sleep well to ensure you have a good night's sleep, a comfortable night's sleep. Pillows and sheets especially. It's MyPillow.com. And MyPillow.com has got just so many products. They have a new mattress topper that's thicker. They've got mattresses. They have these amazing Giza cotton sheets. They've got the MyPillow Classic. They have my slippers, Fantastic products. And I've used them now for two years. And they're just... They just never cease to amaze me how comfortable they are. And that's really important this time when we have so much pressure and things going on with all of us. Trying to really be in a, it's in a fight where they're trying to prevent us from getting good night's sleep. That would be one of their ultimate goals. But this is literally a a place where we can go to one shop, one store, get everything we need, knowing that it's a Patriot company, a company with a CEO that loves Christ, great quality products, great warranties on everything they do, and fantastic customer service. So head on over to MyPillow.com, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. There you're going to find all sorts of great products there, and your promo code is Bards, B-A-R-D-S. You will not be disappointed. Super stuff. And you can take advantage of all those savings with your promo code Bards. And if you are so inclined to speak to a human being, then you can dial... 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939, and you can speak to a Patriot Pillow Counselor, and they'll be on station for you to be happy and comfortable and pleased. (laughs) How's that for a a sum up of like that? So I wanted to read through tonight the book of Esther. I don't know if we're going to get through the whole thing. We're going to try. I think it's a really important book in everything that we're looking at. Esther is um, really is articulates so much of what we're currently going through. It is the seventeenth book of the Bible, and it really does deal with through the course of people that are being suppressed and potentially exterminated, and it's the strength of one ultimately the sacrifice of one that wasn't even felt didn't even necessarily know she was called that ultimately leads to the saving of her people very powerful story and i think it's very apropos for where we are right now so let's begin we'll begin with esther 1 now it took place in the days of azasuras the asuras azasuras who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Azasuras sat on his royal throne, which was at the citadel in Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all the princes and attendants, the army officers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of his provinces being in his presence. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days. 
When these days were completed, the king gave banquet, lasting several days for all the people who were present at the citadel in Susa. From the greatest to the least, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen, violet, not violent, (laughs) violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen with silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds and the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty. The drinking was done according to the law. There were no compulsion. There was no compulsion for so the king had given the orders for each official of his household that he should be should do according to the desires of each person. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace which belonged to King Azasuras. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagatha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served the presence of the uh, at the presence of the king as Azasuras, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come to the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men, or wise men, who understood the times, for it was the custom of the king, so to speak, before all who knew the law and justice and were close to him. Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marcina, and Memukin, the seven princes of Persia and Medea, who had access to the king's presence and sat in the first palace or first place of the kingdom, quote, according to the law, what is to be done with the queen Vashti, because she did not obey the command of King Azasuras delivered by the eunuchs. In the presence of the king and the princes, Memukin said, Queen Vashti was, has wronged not only the king, but also the princes and all the peoples who are in the, prince, in the provinces of King Azasuras. For the queen's conduct will become known to all women, causing them to look with contempt on their husbands by saying, King Azasuras commanded Queen Vashti to be brought to his presence, but she did not come. This day the ladies of Persia and Medea, who have heard the queen's conduct, will speak in the same way to all the king's princes, and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. If it pleases the king, let a royal edict be issued by him, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Medea, so that it cannot be repealed, that Vashti may no longer come into the presence of King Ajasuras, and let the king give her royal position to another who is more worthy than she. When the king's edict, when the king's edict, which he will make, is heard throughout all the kingdom, great as it is, then all women will give honor to their husbands, great and small. This word pleased the king, 
and the princes and the king did as Memucan proposed. So he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province according to its script, and to every people according to their language, that every man should be the master of his own house and the one who speaks in the language of his own people. I do believe that if we did something like this today, there would be a number of heads exploding on the liberal side. (laughs) It would be centered on the women's lib movement, I'll tell you right now. But obviously, these are not those times. Not at all. So Esther 2. After these things, when the anger of King Azasuras had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what has been decreed against her. Then the king's attendants who serve him said, Let beautiful young virgins so be sought for the king. Let the king appoint overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to the citadel of Susa, to the harem, into the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given to them. Then let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in place of Vashti. And the matter pleased the king, and he did accordingly. Now there was at, now there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, and the son of Shemai, and the son of Kish, and of Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconia, the Jeconia king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. He was bringing up Hadash, Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her on his own as his daughter. So it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard and many young ladies were gathered to the citadel of Susa into the custody of Haggai that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai who was in charge of the women. Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him. So he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther did not make known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. Every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. Now, when the turn of each young lady came to go to King Azasuras after the end of her 12 months under the regulations of the women, for the days of their beautification were complete as follows, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and the cosmetics for women. The young lady would go into the king in his way, in this way, anything that she desired was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem, to the custody of Shagaz, Shash, 
Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not again go into the king unless the king delighted in her and was and she was summoned by name. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had been taken who had taken her as his daughter, came to came to go to the king, she did not request anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the woman, advised. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to the to King Azasuerus and his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he sat the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. When the king gave her great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all the princes and servants, he also made a holy holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. When the virgins were gathered together as the second time, then Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not yet made her known her kindred or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther did what Mordecai told her, and she had done and had done when under his care. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials, from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Azasuerus. But the plot became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king of Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, there were both, they were both hanged on the gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. So much of this story is about is interesting because from the lens of where we read it and from the place in which we live it through, this is a place we don't hear anything referenced about God. It's one of the unique pieces about this book. In fact, we're watching this happen and unfold almost as if we're sitting next to the throne. And we're watching the events come together in the perfection that only God can create. And we're not really into the drama or the head of the individuals, but what we're seeing constantly throughout this story, even in, we're now in chapter three, but through the first two chapters and it continues, is this unbelievable level of faith. Mordecai is outside waiting for her each day, wanting to, wanting to get some news from her on her and her state. And she's separated from him for a year. He has no idea what's happening to her other than what he can get, only until she becomes queen. Each one is committed to a process. She's obedient to her uncle, and obviously greater than that, But he and he's obedient to what he, what he sees before him. And we don't even get into the pieces of like God spoke to them and told them to do this. That's kind of the normal way we would expect to hear the Bible story go. But instead we're seeing the response to a calling, within them that they're led to do and with absolute obedience there's we as we witnesses there's no drama in that there's no drama of like god told me and therefore i must do there's none of that it's not even a second thought 
This opportunity presents itself, and Mordecai knows right then and that, Morde- that he has to just lead Esther to where she needs to go. And Esther knows that she needs to obey what her uncle does. Just imagine that level of faith in our, in our world today. Imagine that level of commitment and obedience to God. And I think that's what strikes me so much throughout this entire story is it is a story that ends in a perfect ending, literally what we call the boomerang. And it happens all through the obedience and faith without knowing where things are going to go. What we see through this first-person lens almost is this unfolding of events, not knowing where these events are going to lead. There's no prophecy here. It's just events unfolding. And the players moving on, being moved into the, into the story, and those that are obedient, just literally following the path God leads them to, not knowing that they would become ultimately biblical heroes, right? So continuing with three. After these events, King Azasuras promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, Agagite, and advanced him and established the authority over the princes who were with him. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he had not he would not listen to them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand for he had told them that he was a Jew when Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him Haman was filled with rage but he disdained to to lay hands on Mordecai alone for They had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Azasuras. In the first month, which is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Azasuras, Pur, that is the lot, was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month, until the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Azasuras, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all the other people, and they do not observe the king's laws. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry out the king's business to put into the king's treasuries. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha of Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, The silver is yours and the people also to do with them as you please. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and it was written, just as Haman commanded, to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, and to the princes 
of each people, each province according to its script, each people according to its language, being written in the name of King Azasaurus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews. But young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. A copy of the edict to be, to be issued as law in every province was published to all the peoples so that they should be ready for this day. The courier went out impelled by the king's command with, while the decree was issued at the citadel of Susa. And while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. A rather profound twist of events as we see, and it's not too different than what we've witnessed here today. A people that were scattered that suddenly became targeted by a very violent and very focused enemy, one that hated them. And ultimately, the most powerful thing that provoked this was Mordecai's unwillingness to bow. He only bowed to one person, God. I think this is, a again, it's a reminder of the conflict that will always happen to one degree or another of tyranny versus people that are truly free and pursuant of God's grace in this world, of all the things God gives as a sovereign. And as we embrace that place, and if you've listened to last hour's show, you heard the interview, a wonderful interview with Ted Nugent. You heard that discussion coming through. I mean, I love the fact how Ted framed our Constitution and our Bill of Rights, the First and Second Amendment. He made it very clear as he spoke it eloquently that God gave us those rights. No man on this earth has a right to impede free speech or a right to bear arms. And it goes further than that, but where it's where he focused. And so we have this idea And over time, we've been beaten down to accept the rules and the edicts coming from the men and and women in power. And in so doing, we've willfully given up our position of authority, and we've willfully given up our, our rights, which God gave us. And I just want you to let that settle in a minute, because God gave us an amazing gift here, a gift to be the shining lamp on the hill for so many others to be that shining city, so to speak for so many others around the world to see, for us to be the inspiration for other countries and other peoples that were seeking that sort of freedom. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in its simple terms until it's detailed out in the Constitution, or I should say the Bill of Rights. And yet as a nation, we've walked away from that. In fact, we've gotten so crazy as a nation that we don't even, we're not even considering free speech, free speech. Because if it says something we don't like, we immediately flag it as racist. And in fact, that ideology has inculcated our discussion so deeply that we even find ourselves when we speak online or when we speak publicly shunned and careful. We might even say things trying to defend ourselves. Well, I'm not a racist, but all of those terminologies, being a racist, being a homophobe, being this or that, that's demonstrated in the way we live. But our words can be can be a testimony to where our position is. And there is wrong with many of these things that we call out, and yet we seem hesitant to do so because the system is telling us that we're wrong. And so we're listening, we're obeying. 
Mordecai didn't bow. The, the idea of not bowing is huge because he would not give in to the fact that just because they were servants of the king, it meant nothing to him because he only bowed to God. And it was that was what provoked the true nature of the enemy. One thing I used to say very clearly, and I still say it, but I mean, it's not to the degree it used to be. If the United States of America stopped paying taxes, ceased to pay taxes, we come to the spring, nobody pays their taxes. You want to see how quickly the true face of this government is revealed? Watch that happen. Nobody pays their taxes. Everybody will witness the transformation of this thing into the true beast tyranny that it is. And it will be in the open. It will be plain to see. There will be raids. There will be arrests. There will be threats. Because this system needs money to feed itself. But it takes strength to do that. Mordecai represents enormous strength. And the king is like so many kings. He's trusting his advisor. His advisor happens to have an enormous amount of hate for a particular person, so wants to see the entire race eradicated. Esther 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate, for no one wants to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the the command and decree of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. We see this even now, by the way, in its own forms. How many times do I read? Probably every day I read two or three comments of like, Joe, Jesus, please take me away. I can't wait till the end comes. I can leave this place. The question I have, if that's the case, then why are you here? What we witness here is there is a great mourning, and but what they're missing that we're going to get to in Esther is there's no sense of action. There's no sense of ownership of the problem. It's, oh, God, fix it. But that's not what goes on here because we have to be participant in the solution. So continue. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathach from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered, ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what it was and why it was. So Hathach went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate, Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction that it might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and plead him with him for, their, for her people. Hathach came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he must, but he has but one law, that he has put 
to death, that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told her to reply to Esther. I'm sorry, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for them. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away, and just as Esther had commanded him. This is such an instrumental chapter in this book. It's a profound moment of change and realization. It's the understanding that you don't get to escape a fate. And it's the other piece that God is calling you. And if you don't listen to respond, he will find another to do the bidding. I find these so important in this time because we don't consider the fact of consequence. Consider it what God puts on your heart. And if you don't do it, what happens to you and your family? It's not that you'll be struck down and burnt into ashes, but if God passes you over because of the urgency of the event or the need, a critical moment in time, it could lead to the passing of the importance of the name of your family and you. There's consequences is the point. And we don't like to look at those consequences often enough in Scripture. But there are definite consequences for not taking the actions. And the amazing thing in this story, again, is we're sitting at the lens of unknowing. Right now, we read this and witness this story as walking in faith because Mordecai doesn't know. He's not being told by God, your family will be removed. It will be erased. He's posing the, the correct question. And the further question is, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? The profound words, because she came out of nowhere, and someone who had impossible odds and became the queen. When we walk with the one God, the true God, the God of hosts, we know that we are put in places for this such a time as he needs us. We know that there's purpose and intent. And if we're really walking with him, we know that every place that we are, every moment that we have is important to him as it should be to us. And so when we reflect on these junctures that we hit and we realize the magnitude of that, we will then listen differently. We will obey correctly and we will not waste time executing what's put before us. This chapter is so, so important. So we go on to chapter 5. As soon as we get there, here we go. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king 
was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended his es- to Esther the golden scepter with which, he, which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to, even to half the kingdom sh- shall you be given. Esther said, If it pleases the king, May the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. As they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition, for it shall be granted to you? And what is your request? Even to half the kingdom it shall be done. So Esther replied, My petition and my request, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them tomorrow, I will do as the king says. Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, however, went to this house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and the servants of the king. Haman also said, Even Esther, the queen, let no one but me come to the, with the king to the banquet, which she has had prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then Zeresh, his wife, and his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, in the mor- and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. This is another one of these great chapters because this is like irregular warfare to me. She doesn't come out and strike directly. Rather, she, she comes in and she quietly positions things. She already has a plan. She's three steps ahead, maybe five. She's thought it through. She knows how to move this. She's wise. God's giving her wisdom. And we see the reflection of that wisdom there. We also see as we watch this story the arrogance of Haman the obsession with his own ego, the pride which he spews out. And we see the power of the presence of a humble Mordecai who is so is quietly just standing, not bowing, and has put Haman in a rage. And because of that, he makes mistakes. He becomes blind. Lessons again for us to remember as mighty warriors are those that walk as quiet warriors, the meek warrior who knows the mightiness of the sword he carries but knows he must not wield it or doesn't have to wield it because he has something greater he has father god so we have now setting up this place and we prepare for the banquet esther 6 during that night 
The king could not sleep, and so gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. It was found written that Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Azasuras. The king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows, which he had prepared for him. The king's servants said to him, Behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would that, whom would, would the king desire to honor more than me? Then Haman said to the king, that's what his inner voice was. Then the king said, he said to the king, For the man whom the king desires to honor, let him bring a royal robe, which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor, and lead him on horseback through the city square, and proclaim him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. I just love the way the ego plays out there. And this is just pure God's brilliance. In the moment where everything is going, we see how God begins to move the players. Everything is coming perfection into the playing field. All the errors of ego and and self-absorption are now beginning to turn against them. This is justice. This is what we talk about in a loving and forgiving heart, and yet God delivers the perfect justice. But we have to hold the line which is holding the pursuit of a loving and giving heart. So we continue. Then the king said to Haman, Take quickly the robes and the horses as you have said, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all you have said. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried home, mourning with his head covered. Haman recounted to Zeresh his wife and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and Zeresh his wife said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you begin to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. And the plot thickens. Again, such a profound, profound moment in all of this. As we see God unraveling and unfolding things in such perfection. Esther 7. Now the king and Haman came to drink wine and Esther the queen, with Esther the queen. But the king said to Esther on the second day also, as they drank their wine at the banquet, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? 
even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. Then Queen Esther replied, If I have had favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent. For the trouble would be not would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. Then King Azarus asked, Azarus, Azarus asked Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would presume to do thus? Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. The king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. Now when the king returned from the palace garden in the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. The king said, Will he even assault the queen with me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs, who were before the king, said, Behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, he spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. An interesting thing here, the king is obviously a drunk to a certain degree. He drinks too much, let's put it that way. His rage cost him his first queen. God used that as an opportunity to install God's queen. And then his drinking rage again, God actually turns his rage to righteousness where he sees clearly what has to happen and justice is delivered. The other thing I just find so profound in this is the steadiness of Esther. Mordecai is groveling to her now. She has carefully plotted this. She didn't do anything profound. She doesn't set a trap. She simply sets two banquets. And then on the second day, when they're drinking, the king asks her for her request and she lays out the truth. And in the prophet moment, in the perfect timing as God delivers, the truth destroys it all and leaves Haman a broken man, groveling, and she hardly winces. See, she's not attached emotionally. She just sees clearly the power of justice. And that's the part that I find so profound, is the ability to keep your head as any good warrior does in the middle of a fight. On the day King Azosaurus gave the house to Haman, on that day, King Azazurus gave the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had disclosed that he, what he was to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken away from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king, fell at his feet, wept, and implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman, of Agagite and his plot, which he had devised against the Jews. The king extended a golden scepter to Esther, so Esther rose and stood before the king. Then she said, If it pleases the king, 
And if I have found favor before him and the matter seems proper to the king and I am pleasing to his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamaditha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in the king's province. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows because he had stretched out his hands against the Jews. Now you write to the Jews as you see fit the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring to decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. So the king's scribes were called at the time in the third month, that is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and it was written according to Mordecai, commanded to the Jews, that the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces, which extended from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to every province according to its script, and to every people according to their language, as well as the Jews according to their script and their language. He wrote in the name of King Azazurus and sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent the letters by couriers on horse riding on the steeds by the royal stud. In them the king granted the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble and to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate their entire army of any people province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder their spoil. On one day in all provinces, King Azazurus, the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month of Adar. A copy of the edict to be issued as law in each and every province was published to all the peoples so that the Jews would be ready for this day to avenge themselves to the, on their enemies. The couriers hastened and impelled the king's command, went out riding on the royal steeds, and the decree was given out at the citadel of Susa. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in the royal robes of blue and white with a large crowd of golden golden garment, a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. For the Jews, there was light and gladness and joy and honor in each and every province and each and every city, wherever the king's com- commandment and his decree arrived, there was a gladness and joy for the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many among the peoples of the land became Jews, for the dread of the Jews had fallen on them. This chapter brings things together. It brings things together even to our own constitution, for they were given the right to assemble, First Amendment, and, and to defend themselves, Second Amendment. And most profound in all of this is God did not give them a pass. God required them to make a choice, a choice to defend themselves for what he had given them and for what they stood for. For if they desired to be the people they wanted to be, they would have to make a stand for that purpose. Esther 9. Now on the 12th month, this is the, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day when the king's command and edict were about to be executed, on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, 
it was turned to the contrary so that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout the province of King Azazurus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand before them, for the dread of them had fallen on all the people, even on all the princes of the province, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the the king's business assisted the Jews because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all of the provinces. For the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. At the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And at Parshandatha, Dalphon, Asphatha, Parotha, Adalia, Aridatha, Parmasta, Arisa, Aridia, and Vezithatha, the ten sons of Haman and the son of Hamaditha, the Jews' enemy, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. On that day, the number of those who were killed at the citadel of Susa was reported to the king. The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed five hundred men and ten sons of Haman at the citadel of Susa. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It shall even be granted you. And what is your further request? It shall also be done. Then then, Then said Esther, If it pleases the king, let tomorrow be also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded that it should be done, so that an edict was issued in Susa, and Haman's ten sons were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa assembled also on the fourteenth day of the month, Adar, and killed three hundred men in Susa but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces assembled to defend their lives and rid themselves of their enemies and kill 75,000 who hated them, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. This was done on the 13th day of the month, Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the 13th and 14th of the same month And they rested on the fifteenth day and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. Therefore the Jews of the rural areas who live in the rural towns make the fourteenth day of the month of Adar a holiday for rejoicing and feasting and sending portions of food to one another. Here again now we see the Jews stamping up, taking command of the authority that they've been given. They are relentless and ruthless. But they're not seeking a fight. They're defending themselves from those who seek to destroy them. They're not rolling over. This isn't a point of being weak or trying to extend a hand of everlasting love to somehow bridge peace with those that want to kill them. They've drawn a hard line. And we see this in here, that with this, God keeps raising up the power. And what was unspoken in this whole piece is the mightiness of God that's working through that army. The Jews are working with God, not on their own. They're not raising a sword because they want to. They're raising a sword because they understand this is God moving through them. And as God leads them, they do, and they destroy this enemy. Then Mordecai recorded these events and sent his letters to the Jews who were in the provinces of King Azazurus, who 
near and far, obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month, Adar, and the 15th day of the same month annually, because of those days the Jews rid themselves of their enemies. And it was a month which has, was turned from them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into holiday, that they should take them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Thus the Jews undertook what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the adversary of the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and had cast purr, that is the lot, to disturb them and destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that his wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the name of Pur. And because of the instructions of the letter, both what they had had seen in this regard and what had happened to them, the Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all who allied themselves with them so they would not fail to celebrate those two days according to the regulation and according to the appointed time annually. So these days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city. And these days of Purim were not to fail from, fail from the Jews or their memory fade from the, their descendants. The Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter of Purim. He sent letters to all the Jews in 127 provinces of the kingdom of Azazurus, namely words of peace and truth, to establish these days of Purim at the appointed times, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established for them, and just as they had established for themselves, for their descendants with instructions for the times of fasting and and their lamentations. They commanded Esther establish these customs in Purim, and it was written in the book. Again, a very profound moment of finally reconciliation as they now celebrate all that they had accomplished. And in the final passage, Esther 10, Now King Azazurus laid a tribute on the land and it and on the coastlands of the sea, and all of the accomplishments of his authority and strength and full account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him are now are are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew, who was second only to King Azazurus, a great and great among the Jews, and in the favor with his many kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people, and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation. Isn't that what we all seek? To speak for the good of our people, good of us, and the welfare of the nation, ultimately. It's a profound story. It's one that needs to be read, read and reread over the year, in my opinion. It's a reminder again, even of our own journey, of how close it has been to this journey. So many asleep and willing to feel that they could be overrun by a meek enemy, by a weak enemy. They had taken a position of weakness rather than a a position of great warriors, understanding and forgetting who they were and not understanding who the mightiness of God is. That's us. But that's been changed 
in this year of 2023, that awakening should be on everybody's heart to realize that we walk in the mightiness of the one God, the true God, the God of hosts. We walk under the banner of Christ. And it's up to us to make the decisions to make the stand. God will not do all this for us. Opportunities will be made. Our faith will guide us in the right paths. God will open the doors that only he can open. Justice will be delivered. But we must walk with that humbleness, that humility, that forgiving and loving heart. But remember that there's a cold aspect to justice, that when it's brought, as Haman faced Esther, he understood now he was accountable to what he had done. And the mighty fall, and Esther held her line. It's an amazing story. And when we're blessed to have for us to read and remind ourselves of where the true strength and greatness is. Let us pray. Father, we come to you very humbly, blessed in this hour of all the things that we've experienced over these last few years. As a reminder, as we frame so much of this and easily frame this in the story of Esther, a story that reminds us of the responsibilities that we have in this fight, A story that reminds us that as things are put in our heart, we need to move forward with them. It's not a dramatic event. It's listening to you clearly and executing and walking by faith, not by sight. We are reminded in the story of Esther the need not just to lament and pray, but to pray and to do. To be firm, to be bold in front of the enemy, not to be afraid because the enemy changes things and then run to you to ask you to fix it when it's our world to work through with you. So, Father, we just pray tonight for the strength and the righteousness to settle into the hearts, the fire of righteousness to burn mightily, and for people to see forward now where they are and where we're going to trust in you and the wisdom that you provide and that walk in faith to know that whatever stands before us, we can overcome. We thank you for the blessings given. We humble ourselves before you for the transgressions made. But the heart of the warrior now awakens. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. A great story, patriots. Thank you for being here tonight. It's one that one of my favorite books in Scripture for all that it says in such a short amount of time. There are so many Esthers among us. There's so much of this story about us. It's time that we rise and stand, become informed, understand what's being used against us so that we can now stand against it in proper form. Our 2023 is a great year ahead we will begin to take back that which was taken. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow. For bended knee until then or until the next time. Thank you. Good night. God bless. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe.